Welcome to the podcast of Sozo Church. For more information about Sozo, please visit sozosmtx.com. You know what? I believe this, that the, the greatest privilege in life is that we get to represent Jesus to the world around us. The greatest privilege in life is that we get to represent Jesus to the world around us. The idea that God would make us his ambassadors, that he would say to you, I I want to put my spirit in you and I want to position you so that you would be my representative to the world. It it blows my mind because I I look and I think, man, I'm not sure if I would have picked me, right? You ever think that? Like, man, there's probably somebody else that could do this a whole lot better. But Jesus says this in in 1 John 4, uh, 17. He says, in this, or John writes this of Jesus, in this world, we are like Jesus. You get that? In this world, we're, we're actually the representative of Jesus. Another translation says, as he is, so are we in this world. I love what Jesus' final words in John chapter 20 are. He said, it's the, it's the great commission simply stated. It says, as the Father sent me, so I send you. I think one of the, the greatest privileges is that we get to represent him. I think it's quite daunting, and I think a lot of times we maybe aren't the best representatives. Nonetheless, that's the call for you and for I. I love what Jesus tells this crowd gathered for the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter five, verse 14. It says this, you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, Let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. You are the light of the world. Think about that just for a second, that you're actually, you and I are created to be. We are born again into Jesus to be the light of the world. And yet it it says this, and I think Jesus was aware of the wrestling match that we do in our own lives. He says, people don't light a lamp and put it under a bowl. The truth is, a lot of times we live in such a way that our lamp is put under a bowl. Right? Like, we actually carry Jesus in us, and yet there are times and there are ways that we actually hide our light. Oftentimes, we don't even understand what we're doing and that what we're doing is actually hiding our light. I think a lot of times we have a low value of ourselves. And so we think, oh, I don't really matter, right? Like, oh, I, I can, I, it doesn't matter if I do this because nobody's watching, it doesn't matter, I don't really have an effect on people. I think about people all the time that, that live fairly reckless lives now, I have a little bit of recklessness in me, quite honestly. But it it's, comes out of this belief that if something happens to me, then it doesn't really matter. Have you ever thought that? 
Like this, there's this idea that, that we live with at times where I don't really make a difference in people's lives. And, and the truth is, is that there is a lie that's saying you don't matter when the truth is God has put his very spirit in you. You are a habitation for the presence of God. And I think a lot of times we make decisions that actually hide our light. Uh, I, I, and, and we even participate with thought patterns. I remember um, being a, a young man and, and struggling with pornography, and it really messed with my life. And, and I realized that I, in that, in that season, I had leadership opportunities that came to me, but I, I said, there's no way I can do that while I'm struggling with this. And I think... The truth is we all have those issues in our lives that go undealt with and we somehow put up with them. Like we entertain them and we make excuses for them. I remember another thing I, as a young man feeling the call of God on my life to, towards church leadership of some sort and I was terrified to get up in front of people. Like super terrified, like couldn't even say a word, terrified. Some of you have heard me tell the story before when I was in kindergarten, I was in the Christmas play and my role in the Christmas play was this. I had this bright gold thing around my head and I was placed in the Christmas tree choir, right? Like blending in with uh, probably two dozen other ornaments in the Christmas tree choir. And I remember there being in the very back this camera. And back in those days, there was no like handy cam or even phone cam, right? It was like this big tripod and everybody's home video recorder looked like a news camera. And so to my six-year-old mind, I thought that the news was there and had their lens fixed on me because I was in the middle of the Christmas tree choir. And I was terrified. I didn't sing a single word because I was so terrified that I was on the news. And it seems that in that season that stage fright tended to set up residence, that was like this moment and it went all the way through. And I, I remember in the early days of, of, of uh, leading uh, a college ministry and standing up in front of people to preach and being absolutely terrified and confident that I was saying nothing meaningful um, or coherent, in fact. And what I realized is that there was this fear in my life that I'm not good standing in front of people. Then I made an agreement with that fear. And so now I've basically said, God, if you want to use me for that, it's not going to happen because I've already agreed with the lie. And so I'm going to stay stuck in this place and you'll have to find somebody else. And I think the truth is we all do that in different ways. We make excuses. We, we have reasons why God can't use us, reasons why God can't work in our lives and through our lives. And then we make agreements with those reasons, with those fears, those sin patterns, those insecurities, those hurts. And the result is, is that we end up with a basket over our light and we're saying, God, you can't use me. You're going to have to go find somebody else. 
And I believe that God actually wants to deal with those in us. Because I don't know if you can tell, but the world around us is longing for the light. Like the world around us needs the light to come on. And, and we have to stop playing games and hiding our light under the basket, but actually step into what God has called us to. I love this passage in Romans 8. All of Romans 8 is pretty brilliant, but in verse, starting in verse 29, it says this, for those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son so that they might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. Let's start back at the beginning. For those God foreknew. Who does God foreknow? Everybody. See, we can turn this into this narrow scripture that is just for a few people, but the truth is, is that God foreknew everybody. And those he foreknew, he also predestined. Now, if you've been in church very long at all, you've probably been in an argument about what predestination means. The word broken down is basically predetermined set of boundaries. So God actually just determined the places that you would live. I love what Acts 17, 26 says. It says that God determines the places and times that man should live so that if he would seek him and seek him with all his heart, he would find him. That word places is actually the word orizio. Say orizio. And it's actually uh, predestination in the Greek is pro-orizio. So it's basically predetermined orizio or boundaries. The truth is, is that God set it up so that we could all get in. He actually predestined all of us so that there was actually this pathway for us to be conformed to the image of his son. That means this, that you and I, that there is sufficient grace available for you and I to look like Jesus. I'm going to say that over here. Maybe these folks will get it. There is sufficient grace for you and I to be conformed into the image of Jesus. Isn't that good news? All right. I knew they would like it over there. That's a lot of grace. Yeah. If you look at my life, it is a ton. It's like a shipload of grace. And I still need a ship. S-H-I-P, ship. Okay. (laughs) And I probably need more now. Um. Yeah, the reality is that God has made it so that you and I can look like Jesus, can reflect Jesus. And if we, if we go on, it says this, so that we can be conformed into the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. So Jesus is our big brother, And God actually set it up so that we could mature to look like him. So if you're not there, then you need to add a yet to the end of your sentence. You're just not there yet. Keep going. 
So those that he predestined, he also called. So who's called? Everybody. And those he called, he also justified. Now, justification is a really big word that sometimes we get confused. Like we begin to to think of it as, oh, that just means that I'm not guilty. No, it means that you were marked as innocent. Not just like there wasn't enough information for the charges not to stick, not that we didn't get enough witnesses and so we're letting you off on a technicality, but the truth is that Jesus marks you as innocent. And most of us, in fact, I would say one of the biggest hindrances for us walking into our purpose is that we don't believe that we're innocent. That Jesus has separated our sin from us as far as the east is from the west, but we haven't. We're still remembering ourselves by the old scorecard instead of saying, you know what? He's actually forgiven me. I'm I'm free. It's like it never even happened. And let me tell you this about the day that we get to face Jesus. He's not going to bring up what he's already chosen to forget. I think a lot of us have fear about the judgment day because we've been told, well, what God's going to do is he's going to bring up all the stuff that he's already forgiven. That's not the way that forgiveness works. When you submit it to him, it's done. It is forgiven. He's already paid the price for it. I think that's good news. My son's excited about that word too. Those he's justified, he's also glorified. So he's made you innocent and then he's actually glorified you. Now it's important to understand the, uh, the language here. The language here is not talking about simply something that will happen in the future, but instead, the way that Paul wrote this, what he is saying is that there is a work that has previously been done that has now made this actively available for us. Do you understand that? So it's, it's not, what he's not talking about is that when we die and the resurrection comes, we get glorified bodies, but actually that we carry the glory of God in us. Now the church has had a really hard time for this for a long time because we say things like, don't touch the glory of God. But the truth is that he's actually giving his glory away. Yes. Do you understand that? That he's actually entrusting his glory to us. That the blood of Jesus that caused our justification was about getting us so clean that now we could actually carry the glory of God in the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Second oh, Corinthians 3 talks a little bit more about this. In verse 17, it says this. It says, now the Lord is spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is spirit. That word contemplate is probably better to say reflect. We actually carry the glory of God in us. Look at your neighbor and tell him you carry the glory of God. 
So here's our challenge. Our challenge is to believe that we actually do. Our challenge is to believe that there is sufficient enough grace for us to carry the glory of God. That there is enough grace in him for you to radiate him to the world around you. And you see, most of us come up with excuses for why that doesn't apply to us. Right? Like, well, I've got this thing. I've got this problem. I'm stuck here. And we're not willing to press through in order to get what he's making available. Go with me real quick to Mark chapter 5. I'm going to pick up in verse 24. It says, A large crowd followed him, and they pressed in on him. And there was a woman there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors, and she had spent all she had. And yet, instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd, and she touched his cloak, because she thought, if I touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately, her bleeding stopped, and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once, Jesus realized that power had gone from him. He, returned, or he turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? When you, you see the people crowding against you, his disciples answered, and you can ask who touched me? But Jesus kept looking to, who, to see who had done it. And then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet. And she trembled with fear and told him the whole truth. She sa- he said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. So here's the backstory to the story. Here's a woman who's been suffering with bleeding for 12 years. In that culture, if you had that problem, you don't simply have a medical problem, you have a societal problem. You're kicked out of everything. You're supposed to live outside of the village. You're supposed to be marked as unclean. You're not supposed to touch anybody or anything So here's a a woman who is not only suffering physically, but she's suffering emotionally. She's suffering relationally. She's got to be suffering spiritually. She's probably on the edge of hope where she's just about to give everything up and say, you know what, I'm done. She spent all that she has. Her life is in a mess. I don't know if you can identify with that in an issue in your life. I remember wrestling with sin patterns and thinking, man, there's no way out of this. Like, I'm going to be stuck doing this for the rest of my life. I remember thinking there is no hope for this area of my life, and there's no way that I'm going to experience freedom or transformation. Have you been there? 
Here's what's interesting. Jesus is making his way through the crowd and everybody's touching Jesus. He doesn't have bodyguards that are keeping people away. Everybody is pressing in on him. And yet here comes a woman and she touches Jesus in a different way than anybody else is touching Jesus. He doesn't, she doesn't touch Jesus out of fanfare, out of this opportunity to be near a celebrity, out of this opportunity to, to, to oh, I, I touched Jesus. Now I'm never going to wash my hand again, right? No, she leans in and she touches Jesus in faith. You see, most of us, most of the time, we approach Jesus, we touch Jesus, but all we get is in response to the faith that we bring to the touch. All that we get is in response to the faith that we bring to the touch because the truth is it wasn't about her touch that did anything. It was all about her faith. And I, I love what happens. She, she touches him in faith and then she runs away to hide because she probably hadn't been that close to people in a long time. But then it says something. Jesus goes and he finds her because Jesus recognizes that there was something different about the way that he was touched. And so she, she, he goes to find her and he says something to her that we could miss in our English translations. He says, daughter, your faith has made you sozo. You see, that word there in the Greek is, is not simply the word that they would use if somebody's body was physically healed. It's the word for salvation. It means to save, to heal, to deliver, to restore, to make whole. She touched Jesus knowing who he was and it transformed her whole life. You see, a lot of times we come to Jesus and what we get is, is, is not in response to who he is. What we get is in response to the faith that we bring to who he is. And so we believe that he'll forgive our sins. And so what we get in response is forgiveness because yeah, absolutely. That's who he is. And that's part of what he'll do. But as, as I begin to believe this, that God doesn't simply Jesus' sacrifice was not to just free me from the consequences of my sin, but was actually to free me from the sin patterns themselves because I didn't have to go back to that place ever again. That, that Jesus' blood was sufficient not just to cover up my sin, but actually to remove it from me. That his blood and his power were so strong that it wouldn't simply change the symptoms of my thinking, but actually change the very way that I thought. You see, when you touch Jesus in faith, what you get is access to all that he is. And so often we stop short of the glory of God because we think all we get is justified and we move on with life. But what Jesus actually wants to do in our lives is bring total transformation. He 
desires to put his glory in us. And so often we don't approach him with faith to see his glory through our lives. So my question to you is what's hiding your light? What is it that you're tolerating that's actually stealing God's glory? What is it that you're putting up with that is a direct assignment on the call of God in your life and yet you're making excuses saying, man, God, you can't do that through me. I love this story in John chapter five. Jesus goes to the pool of Bethesda and at the pool of Bethesda, there's this water and sometimes it gets stirred and the belief is, is that people are getting healed. The first one in gets healed. Jesus goes and he sees this man who's been sick for a long time. He's sitting there because he wants to be healed. And yet Jesus dares to ask him the question I believe that's plaguing his heart. He says to him, do you want to get well? See, here's the deal with Jesus. He's not going to force his way on us. When he goes to his hometown, nobody's healed except the ones that approach him. Why? Because they're not approaching him in faith. And you see, what happens is, is that we end up tolerating so much junk in our lives that is less than God's best. And what he would say to us is, do you want to get well? Do you want to get rid of that deal, that fear that's plugging you, that insecurity that's messing with you, that sin pattern that's keeping you from stepping into your purpose? Do you want to deal with that? Because if you want to deal with that, we can deal with that. If not, I'm going to wait until you're ready. I'm not going to push healing on you. But I, what I want to do in your life is I want to make you sozo. I don't just want to touch your body and bring healing to your body, though Jesus loves doing that. He paid for that with stripes on his back. But even more than that, is he wants to take every bit of shame and guilt and fear that keep us from walking in an intimate relationship with him. He wants to, to remove that sin pattern that makes you think that you're enemies with God. He wants to step into that place and bring healing to your life. And so my, my question to you, and it's not just about a response, we'll have a team that would love to pray with you, but my question to you is this. Will you press in? Will you be like that woman with the issue of blood and say, no matter what, I'm going to press in and get all that God has for me? You see, I believe that in this room, there are people with incredible destiny, that, that God has so much in store for us, and yet so often we're tolerating less than his best. Don't hide your light. Press into God. He's got more and more for you than you could ever imagine. Would you stand? Prayer team, you guys can come forward. These folks would love to pray with you. You may be here and you've never, or even online, you've never trusted your life to Jesus. And 
What that looks like is saying, Jesus, I I trust you that you died on the cross for my sin, that you rose again and that you're offering me new life. It's not simply about a prayer. It's about a confession and a transition to a new way of living empowered by the very presence of God. If you'd like to do that, these guys would love to pray with you. Um, You can submit a a message on our on our social media, somebody would love to follow up with you if you're online, but we would love to help you walk in a new life. And then there are others of you and you're just stuck and you just need somebody to come into agreement with you for your freedom. Whatever it is, maybe a sin pattern, it may be just a thought pattern like fear or insecurity, but God wants to step into that place and bring freedom and healing. Our team ahead of time was praying and there were a few words that they had that somebody here has problems with your right ear and God wants to heal that. Somebody else, you're experiencing bad sinus pressure. And then finally, somebody with pain in in your shoulder. But really, if you just need prayer, our team would love to pray with you. But I just want to pray for us. Father, we just, we love you, Jesus. We thank you for your love for us. We thank you, Lord, that In Jesus, you provide complete restoration. You even repay us for what the enemy has stolen from us in the past. So Lord, we just ask that you would move on our hearts, that you would show us how to respond to you. In Jesus' name, amen.